Hey everybody, Todd Mitchell. Welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. I am going to do a very short intro because this is a long call and a really good call. We had a great discussion with Ryan Engel, creator of Topgolf with Pro Putt for Oculus. He has a long history in technology, VR. He's everywhere you've wanted to be and done everything you want to do. So fun guy to talk to and uh, just tons of good stuff to go on and to learn from here. So without further ado, here is my chat with Ryan Engel, creator of Topgolf with Pro Putt. Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Whoa, boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was bluer than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. The arcade was my church. I thought I was grassland. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for taking some time to talk to me. I've been excited about this for a while, so I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, you, Ryan, you are the uh, creator and developer of Top Golf's. I don't exactly know what to call it anymore because it seems like it's going through a bit of a rebranding. Is that right? It is. Yeah, it it was Pro Putt by Top Golf, and now it is Top Golf with Pro Putt. So it seems to me, an outsider, I, I played this in the beginning and I'm trying to get in to check out the new features and everything. But it started as a really cool VR like putt putt game and now it it looks like it has the entire top golf experience built in yeah that's exactly right you know um interestingly internally we kind of tried to avoid putt putt or mini golf and we wanted to build something that was a little bit closer to a full golf feeling mm-hmm. of like having rough and bunkers and you know sh- you know contours and stuff like that and not really windmills or uh, kind of fantastical you know models on the course so that's what we did with pro putt you know we have these holes that that can be pretty long but you are limited to a putter so in that respect it it is kind of like putt putt and then since we've had this partnership with top golf we felt like we were kind of really leaving a lot on the table by not offering a top golf experience and over the last uh, few months that's been our focus and yeah we've built out a full top golf venue where you can not only play uh, the top golf games on their kind of driving range setup with the targets but we also have cornhole we've got this game called pitch pong which is very much like beer pong but you're chipping balls into the into kind of the the little (laughs) cup Uh, And then we have a whole pitching island just so you can go out there, hang out, you know, hit shots onto the green that do have holes and and put spin on the ball and have it spin back into the hole and that type of a thing. So we really wanted to uh, double down on uh, the social aspect of golf and especially the social aspect of top golf, where rather than focusing 100 percent of the attention on uh, competition and, you know, playing holes and getting low scores, uh, or, or good scores. Mm-hmm. We wanted it to be a casual environment where people of very different skill levels can go in and everyone can have a good time and, and, uh, and you can hang out with your friends and listen to music and kind of do all the things that I think a lot of us have not been doing this year, you know, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's very much the Top Golf experience. I'm at a point where we have a couple of locations in my area, but I can never get a feel for how many people know 
what the top golf experience is. And since you're here, maybe I should have you give the high level. If you don't know what top golf actually is, what's, how's it go? Yeah. Great question. Because, um, top golf was founded actually in the UK almost 20 years ago. Uh, it's got a long history, but it came to the U S I should probably know the specific dates, but you know, <laughs> less than 10 years ago, um, yeah. I think, you know, I think the first time I ever heard of Top Golf was in 2013. I'm based in Austin, Texas, and their headquarters are in Dallas, Texas. Mm. So they had opened in Dallas, and shortly after, they opened one of the first locations in Austin. And I've been playing golf since I was 11, so I'm, I'm obsessed with golf. Nice. And, you know, the in my mind, it's like, oh, okay, so it's a driving range, but you can get food, and they have these sort of target games and you can order drinks. Right. Well, I was any three of those will work for me, so I'm totally <laughs> sold. But I don't know why you know my friends who don't play golf would go. So I'm you know I'm kind of I was kind of curious how this was going to work out, and and didn't didn't know if it would really find an audience. Well, the first time I go, it's amazing because you look around and the majority of people there clearly are not golfers just based on their swing and where the ball's going and everything like that. But everybody, regardless of whether they're hitting it well or not, everybody's having a really good time. Uh, the food is great. The drinks are great. The music's good. The environment's nice. You know, I think that day was like a Sunday morning and the weather was great. So it, it ended up just being a great place to go hang out with your friends where you you kind of are outside you're you're obviously hitting the golf balls into a field but it is covered and they do have you know ac and heaters and stuff so the temperature is always right but you do feel kind of like you're outside but you're not getting you know hit directly by the sun so it's this just really interesting way of just being in a super relaxed environment with these cool you know golf games where if you do want to be competitive you can um, but at the same time, it's like the stakes are super low. If you hit a bad shot, you don't have to go looking in the woods for it. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, uh, that, that's kind of a long winded way of saying at, uh, at face value, it's a driving range with, you know, food and drinks and, and a bar. Um, but the reality is it's just a very cool place to hang out with your friends. Totally. My family, we go all the time. We're not avid golfers. I've always liked golf and I started probably in around 2005. So I've been around it for a while now, but I'm not good at all. I still go play. I'll go play a golf scramble. Anybody I'm working with or anything like that. I love being around the sport. Really, like you said, whether you love it or not, you can go to this place that is, yeah, it's kind of the perfect blend of inside and outside. It's very convenient and food's very good, I think. Nice. That's great to hear. I'm sure they love to hear that. And, you know, one of the interesting stats that, that we learned from working with Top Golf is about two-thirds of the people that go are not golfers. Uh, so, you know, it really does cater to a much wider audience, and they've got a great mix of male to female. Um, and it does and, – and, you know, they're even attracting families that will go – you know, kind of during the day and bring their kids. And, and it's a great way of introducing a lot more people to the game of golf in a way that's far less intimidating. Uh, Cause you know, as you said, you've played golf and, and if you're, if you're not good at golf, uh, which, you know, it takes a long time to get good at golf. And yeah. if you're not good at golf, it can be a very awkward and, you know, <laughs> kind of embarrassing experience that anyone who's played golf can, 
you know, relate to because everyone starts out as a beginner and they're just kind of a lot of unspoken rules and you got to, you know, miss your ball or chase your ball a few feet in front of you. And it's like, that just never feels good. Or you miss a short putt and that doesn't feel good. So golf as a sport has a, a very high learning curve. And I think uh, Top Golf is just such a cool way of shallowing out that curve, so that you know you can just swing at the ball, and if you miss, like nobody, nobody cares. Right. Everybody I know, people who had no interest in golf whatsoever, they go, they have a good time, and uh, so it's perfect for parties and hangouts, and when companies in from out of town, all that stuff. So, tell me, you you say we, tell me what your team looks like, and uh, you know what the company background is. Yeah, we're a team of four, including myself. So we've got another engineer based in Tennessee. And uh, we've got a designer here in Austin and sort of an operations uh, slash producer slash QA person slash everything person uh, that's also here in Austin. Uh, So, yeah, we're a very, very small team that uh, we've built pretty much everything in-house minus like a little bit of contract work on, you know, 3D assets and sound and stuff like that. We're, We're all, you know, also fairly new to the the game space, pretty much all of us had done work in the app space. Uh, mm-hmm. So developing, you know, iPhone apps, mobile games, websites, that type of a thing. And uh, none of us had a lot of experience in games. Right after college, the very first job that I had here in Austin was uh, at a game studio, a very small one. We were actually building mobile games uh, right before the iPhone came out. Like halfway through my first year, the iPhone app store did come out. And then the whole studio changed over to iPhone. And lucky for me, that exposed me to iPhone right from the start. So since, you know, mid 2008, I've been developing for iPhone. And uh, that's the majority of of my career was kind of in mobile development. And then uh, I ended up joining another startup here in uh, in Austin called uh, Wikibuy. Uh, and did that for a while. It got acquired by Capital One and... Uh, Around 2016, 17, I think, uh, Apple released ARKit, yeah. uh, which is, you know, their AR solution. And I, I had been itching to get into sort of the AR VR space uh, for quite a while. I've always really liked 3D graphics. And uh, the little bit of time I did spend, you know, developing games, it was really interesting and fun, although, you know, very challenging. So once ARKit came out, it, it just it just got me really excited to start experimenting with that and figure out, you know, if there was anything, any sort of product that could be built around it, something that, that created utility. You know, being a golfer, I was playing golf and out there one day shooting really well, but, but not making as many putts as I thought I should. It was because I felt like I wasn't reading the greens very well. So for a non-golfer... You know, every green has contours. None of them are completely flat. So the ball is going to roll left or right or, you know, up or down. You know, predicting what the ball is going to do has a huge impact on whether or not you make it. Professional golfers all have caddies that can help them read the greens. And they have these green books that have all the contours laid out and stuff like that. So they're very well prepared for reading these greens. But as an amateur golfer, you generally aren't going to have a caddy and, you know, you kind of just have to trust your eyes. And I figured with AR kit, there's probably a unique opportunity to use this new 3D data 
to try to create a contour map of the green in real time just using the phone uh, and use that to predict the putt. I took a week off of work and developed a prototype and it looked, you know, the data looked good enough to, to do that. So I ended up uh, leaving Wikibuy and um, starting GolfScope, which is the first, uh, first product uh, that we, we developed. It's the name of the, of our company and it's our first product and it does use ARKit to read the greens. We, we launched, uh, I, at that point I was pretty much the only person on the project. So we launched, uh, I launched the golf scope app in May of 2018. Uh, Apple picked up on it. They were looking for anything AR related. So, uh, we got featured, you know, top of the app store featured in the sports category in a bunch of different spots. And, and that, that sort of took off and, and it kind of got me thinking that, you know, maybe it was time to grow a team around this. So I did that and hired some folks and, uh, we ended up building a putting game that didn't have anything to do with AR, but was full 3d where we used the same sort of physics engine from golf scope and, and allowed you to putt on this mobile game called Simply Putting, which is still available completely free. Uh, you know, still something that I still play and I, I find a lot of enjoyment from, but we never really had a good model for monetization or, or growing it or anything like that. And then uh, the Quest came out. And so that was, you know, May 2019. The Quest comes out. I had been very interested in VR from the moment I tried the Vive uh, I think in 2016, I had bought pretty much every VR headset you can imagine, tried every VR experience I could, constantly was searching for a reason to do something in VR, but just never quite, never quite had one. Mm-hmm. And then when, when, you know, the Quest was announced and, uh, and then it came out, uh, I, again, sort of quote unquote, took a week off of, off of doing sort of the day job for golf scope and ported our physics engine over into unity and got it running on the quest and hit that first putt on the quest where you're standing over the ball. And, and, uh, and it was like a 20 foot putt with some, with some break. And I hit it to like within a few inches and I was like, wow, okay, this feels like putting. So that, that was kind of, at that point, that was, that was kind of it. And we agreed as a company that we're going to focus all of our attention on VR for the next uh, little while and try to come up with something that we can get into the, uh, into the store. And uh, initially we really wanted to focus on training. So we actually attached the quest controller to a, to a real putter and we were using that to hit putts and and again just like felt so good i mean every little action that you do you know with the putter translated in vr instantly into that data we even built a little uh analysis tool so you could see the path of your putter we analyzed the rotation of the club the arc of the club and came up with this really cool interface where it told you all these details about the club and we we talked to a bunch of different golf companies about it and and the reality was as soon as someone tried it it was like wow this is this is awesome the potential is obvious but whenever we talked to people about it that hadn't tried it and especially people that hadn't tried vr in general there was no amount of sales speak that we could use to convince them that this had any legs Mm -hmm. right Uh, it was just impossible it was just an impossible sell like we're having to sell them on VR and then we're having to sell them on VR being used to improve 
your golf game through putting. Uh, so it was just uh, it was just too much friction, and and you know we kind of recognized that the VR market is is gamers right now, uh, and you know this was a year ago. So we we decided, okay, you know what, let's you know put this training thing on the back burner, and let's just get a good golf game out there so that we can at least gain the experience that we need to you know one day circle back and and build tools for for golfers. And uh, once once we had that prototype, we we reached out to Top Golf, and we had talked to Top Golf a little bit prior uh, during the Golf Scope days. You know, them being in the golf space, and we had some mutual connections, so we had kind of been talking to them loosely. And once we had the VR thing, we went out and visited them and showed them what we had, and they were like, "This is really interesting." You know, we're not really doing anything in the VR space. We've got all this other stuff going on, but you know, let, let's just stay in touch and we'll see what happens. Well, thankfully, they set up a meeting at uh, Oculus Connect in 2019, got us to meet with some fairly senior people at Oculus and, you know, show them the putter attachment, show them the game that we had in mind. Everything kind of got greenlit pretty quickly. Uh, and, you know, interestingly, at that time, uh, we didn't even have a contract with Topgolf yet. Uh, but based on how the meeting was set up, it kind of seemed like we did. So we really benefited from, you know, their brand. Uh, and then once Oculus approved our concept, Topgolf kind of followed suit and was like, okay, well, let's, let's figure out a deal on this end too, you know, to allow us to leverage the Topgolf brand and, and bring Topgolf into VR. So yeah, long, uh, long-winded story, but that's kind of how, how we got to where we are here. Man, and you knocked out almost every one of my questions for you today. So I guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, you mentioned how good that first putt felt. When I first jumped into pro putt and took my first shot and it was wildly off track and it was a terrible <laughs> shot, I went, this is perfect. This is amazing. Just like just like my real golf game. <laughs> just like when I really putt. It was incredible. <laughs> what I'm so impressed by here is... This and this kind of comes through just at a at a glance at your career and the stuff you do. You've it seems like you've always been part of pretty small teams on pretty self started projects. But the way you have found yourself in the right place at the right time and focusing on the right things, you know, the the app store, doing the right work with AR, doing going to the right people to talk about it, like that's something that I don't know if you can teach. But if you can teach it, teach it to me. It, it, it really is impressive how you've found yourself in the right place at the right time. And even though it's difficult to pitch things to people who haven't maybe bought into the VR experience and stuff, it seems like you're managing to, to do it in all the right spots. I mean, how does that work for you? Yeah, thank you. I do consider myself incredibly lucky. I mean, you know, I started, I got, I was a huge nerd in high school, so I guess I paid my dues. But <laughs> I, uh, you know, I got into computers at a very young age and I loved PC games, but for some reason was always more interested in building the games than playing them. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew that I wanted to do computer science from a young age and, you know, just to happen to get a job in the mobile space right when the iPhone came out, that was 100% luck, not planned whatsoever. So I'm really, really grateful for that and, uh, you know, can't can't fully explain it. I think the one... You know, the one lesson um, that that I that I hope I can one day teach my son, who's like four years old. So, yeah, probably not going to learn it for a little while. <laughs> uh, 
But the one lesson that I've learned through this process and, and always working on, you know, very small teams and small startups and, and kind of companies that are effectively fighting to survive versus just like, you know, trying to maximize profits or whatever, you, you always have to move forward and be willing to pivot. So it's like you always have to be moving. You don't always know which way is forward, but as long as you're taking a step in a direction, then then you're good. And, you know, you've got to be willing to kind of it, – it, it's, it's this very strange combination, at least from my experience, of being very stubborn about saying this is what we're building – like it has to be very specific. It can't be open-ended. We're building this very specific thing to test this very specific hypothesis. But as soon as you have, you know, sort of irrefutable data to suggest that actually this thing that we're building is not aligned with the market, you have to be willing to pivot. <laughs> so it's kind of this odd ebb and flow, at least again, from my experience of, focusing all of your attention to knock out, you know, a prototype or be one of the product or something like that um, in the best way possible, or at least to the degree where you can kind of prove where, where you can get the information you need to make the next step. Uh, and in our case, that's, that's what we tried to do with sort of the training app, right? Is like, we thought, you know, and we still think that there's a big market for, you know, golf training aids and helping people improve their golfing abilities. Uh, golf is thanks in a weird way. Thanks to COVID golf is actually the fastest growing sport in the United States right now. Hmm. Um, Cause a lot of people, you know, you can play it outside. It is safer. It is a way to, you know, sort of socialize with social distancing in place. Um, uh, and I've, people have a much more flexible schedule. So I think it's been, it's made it easier to get out there, but you know, uh, golfers are willing to spend a lot of money to improve their, their, uh, their swing. But if we have a product that we aren't able to effectively market, then it doesn't really make sense to, to keep pushing on that. Right. It doesn't make sense to, to just take it to its death. So, you know, so as soon as, as soon as we kind of showed it to enough people and, and we, we got, this selling just didn't get easier based on who we were talking to. It was time for us to really think about what's, you know, what's more important to us developing a great training product in the golf space or breaking into the VR space, still utilizing, you know, golf uh, as the core activity. And, you know, for us, we, our whole team strongly believes that the VR is the next major computing uh, platform. Uh, and, you know, in some ways, I think you could make a decent case that it's like kind of the ultimate computing platform. And uh, we're still so early, but but it's already so rich. And yeah. the experiences that are coming out are just so incredible that for us, the thing that we didn't want to miss out on was, you know, breaking into the VR space. So instead of attaching ourselves to the training aid, um, you know, we, we kind of looked at the market. It was like, look, people are, people want games right now. Um, the market is still really small. So we should build a golf game that is more likely to appeal to a slightly wider audience than build something that like devout golfers love, but you know, people who don't play golf 
don't enjoy. So uh, another, another long winded way of, of basically saying like, pick a direction, go as hard as you can in that direction. Once you're on, you know, once you're on your way toward that destination or you feel like you've kind of got something pretty good, make sure you lift your head up to look around and, 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 uh, be willing to change directions if, uh, you know, if things aren't working out as you expected. Let's talk about our sponsor, AppFigures. AppFigures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now, AppFigures can help you track competitors from downloads and dollar amounts to audience demographics and even which SDKs they use. Their competitor intelligence gives great context. If a competitor adds a new feature or gets mentioned in the news, AppFigures can tell you if that brought in more downloads. If you have an idea for a new app or game, AppFigures can tell you how big the market is and how much money it could make you. That is just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your app or building a new one, AppFigures has the tools you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. You don't need a huge budget or a data science degree. AppFigures has made it affordable and simple. AppFigures provides the tools and they can guide you step-by-step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. Head to appfigures.com slash on slash gamedevbreakdown to try AppFigures for free. If you like it, use our special code GDB3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. So you gained some momentum doing your thing your way and had great results and then eventually found yourself in this situation where you had to sort of do this dance between your team and not only Top Golf, but also you had to do something in a way that Oculus was satisfied with. And I'm wondering if that was difficult. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I, I guess I hadn't thought of I haven't thought thought of it that way. When we first did the deal with um, with Top Golf there was some concern that, you know, they're, they're a big brand, they're a multi-billion dollar brand. Um, and they're going to have, they're going to slow us down, right? We're a tiny team. Uh, our biggest advantage is our speed, mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to slow us down. And the, the best, you know, part of the relationship was we would, we would just be sending them updates so fast, constantly. I mean, our team was, was working a lot, but we were all very committed. So, you know, it didn't, it didn't, feel like too much of a strain hopefully (laughs) but we would send them these updates so fast and we were so committed to trying to you know capture that feel that uh thankfully they they approved our first few updates and then after that it was like they there really wasn't much concern on our part as to whether it would be approved so we just kind of operated under the assumption that it would be approved and you know, move forward as fast as possible, even without getting approval. And just, just figured if for some reason it's not approved, we'll take whatever feedback we get and we'll just reincorporate it rather than waiting for things to get approved and kind of only being able to move as fast as a, as a big, you know, company, which takes away our advantage. And then on the Oculus side, once we were approved for the store, which again, I think, you know, I think the way that it happened for us is, is not typical. And again, we got very lucky because of how that meeting went down. But once, uh, you know, once we got the approval for the game, we didn't really have any concerns about whether, you know, they, whether we'd have to change anything. So at that point, we, what we did very early on is uh, get beta players. Mm -hmm. So, you know, posted to Reddit, 
uh, got a Discord set up, and you know, very quickly had literally hundreds of people playing this game, you know, constantly and giving us feedback. And uh, we went through, I think, like seven iterations of the beta before we finally released it. And we took every bit of feedback very seriously, and we still do. I mean, we've, 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 uh, our, our producer or operations guy, uh, Rob, uh, has played in so many matches with either beta players or even just people who leave like a one or two star review. He's played in so many matches with them and spent so many hours with, you know, these individual people just to figure out what their issues are so that we can, you know, get them fixed. And, you know, converted a lot of these sort of low rating people into high rating people because because at the end of the day, we really care deeply about our product. And if you're getting feedback from one person, it's safe to assume it's affecting a lot more people. And none of that's to say that our game is bug free uh, because we we do try to create as many features as possible, which which generally means more bugs. But I, you know, hopefully over time, we've kind of shown our community that like, if you've got, if you've got thoughts or feelings about what would make this a better experience, then like, we 100% want to hear them. We, we may not always agree with them. And we, you know, we may, (laughs) I know, I personally tend to have a natural reaction of getting defensive when I hear something, (laughs) you know, negative about my work, because I do care about it uh but at the end of the day we're going to take it very seriously and if it's something addressable then you know that's that's what we're going to do so i think because of that approach and because of how we you know got real players playing the beta from pretty early on we didn't really have um we didn't really spend much time worrying about you know what top golf would say or what oculus would say because we figured if our beta players like it then that's that's kind of you know more important that's uh, something so interesting to me. I've always been an enthusiast of VR, but I've only been a VR hardware owner for a few years, uh, a couple of years, actually. So the idea that here we are in the future, if you find a low reviewer or a reviewer with serious doubts about your game, you could invite them into a virtual space with you <laughs> to sort of like, let's do this together. And I want to hear your innermost thoughts. You want to talk about the confidence you would need to do that in the first place. That's impressive. Yeah, like I said, I, I got to give 100% of the credit to, you know, Rob, who uh, ha- has talked to every single one of our players and run our whole Discord and done all of that stuff. Because, yeah, he's he's got much thicker skin than me. And, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, it can be it can be brutal, you know. You it's it's tough not to focus on the negative sometimes, right? You get like ten five star reviews and one one star review, and all you can think about is like, what what is this one star player talking about? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so yeah, it's it's um, you know it's tough, but but it's also it's also the only way to improve. It's like if you if you feel like your product is perfect, then you might as well quit because there's no way you can make perfect better. So I think we just go into it with the, you know, with the knowledge that it's not perfect. Frankly, it's never going to be perfect. So there's always going to be room for improvement. And if these, you know, if these people really are having these issues and they're willing to take the time to talk to us about them, they're obviously seeing something that we're not seeing. So we really consider it. We're really grateful that people who do leave 
you know, negative reviews for the most part have been willing to hop in with us and, and, uh, you know, give us their feedback and in a lot of cases, uh, change their reviews. Um, and you know, in a lot of cases we, we fix the bugs that they bring up and they bring up legitimate issues. So it is very, it, it's, it's a very, it's like a very interesting community experience to be able to build, you know, a game and then be able to hop into multiplayer and play with someone who, you know, doesn't know that you worked on the game and just hear very candid feedback for better or worse. And, uh, and then, you know, have a real interaction with this person and, and VR interactions just feel so much more authentic to me anyway, than, than what you typically get on a flat screen. It's true. I, I grew up playing games mostly alone. I definitely had neighborhood friends who we'd play Nintendo 64 together and all that stuff. I get the sense we're in a relatively similar age range. Uh, you've got a four-year-old, I've got a five-year-old. So you, you kind of know these these same memories from the 90s and 2000s and everything. But yeah. I played mostly solo. So VR is sort of forcing me to adapt a little bit. And I'm simultaneously thrilled by this and horrified because, like, I'm interested in, like, cool, I, I can play with these virtual objects, I can manipulate things with my hands, I can uh, I can go sit down at a table and play a game of poker against other real people this way. But at the same time, I'm, like, looking at this thing on my I forget the name of the poker game that's real popular on Quest right now. But uh, I'm looking around for a button, and this person next to me can see me doing it, and he's like... Uh, click the thing on your wrist. And I'm like, Oh my, I gotta get out of here. I can't take this. <laughs> I hear this yeah. guy breathing next to me and he's looking at me work my menus. Like, I don't like this, but it, it is really cool to have that sort of experience. And uh, before we get too much further, I feel like I have to talk about this one topic because it's kind of how we met on Twitter. I think I first ran into you. It, it's by total coincidence. I had just found this game. I had played it a little bit. I was excited about it, showed it to my wife and everything. And then the topic of Facebook account integration came up, of course, blah, blah, blah. I saw a very reasonable comment come from somebody, which turned out to be you. And it was very similar to what I thought, which was like, maybe it's not ideal, but this is business. Who cares? I, I looked at your, your bio and found out you were the creator of this game I've been playing. I'm like, I'd like us to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you well, think I, about this? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Facebook... The whole Facebook thing is is a very loaded topic, and uh, I I do have very I do actually have very strong feelings about it, and I don't consider myself to be uh, like sort of I don't know complicit in it or just like oh whatever like I'm making money screw you guys the haha sure like, yeah um, I think the way that I you know. The way that I look at it is the Facebook account integration to me is not that different than the fact that you need an Apple account to download apps on your iPhone. And you can't download apps on your iPhone if you don't have an Apple account unless you jailbreak your iPhone, which is not supported by Apple. So, you know, I think... I, I really don't see it as being entirely different. I mean, sure, there was an Oculus account before. Frankly, my my guess is the engineers who supported the Oculus account and the engineers that supported the Facebook account are like, this kind of sucks for us to have two account systems where the same company like 
let's just use the one account system that we've had for much longer that already handles a lot of these situations much better, da 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 da. So from purely the engineering side, it's like, look, I don't think this is like Facebook is evil. All they do is want all of your data to manipulate you, da 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 da. Like they're reading the motion from the device to be able to identify you, all this biometric hacking data. It's like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's just a very pragmatic, we don't need two accounts. Let's just use the one account that you know, over 2 billion people have in, in the world. Right. Um, so from, you know, from a pragmatic perspective, that's like kind of how I view the, the Facebook account requirement is like, yeah, it's really not that different than, than the Apple requirement. You know, the, the other stuff I feel like is not, is these are not, I don't think these are illegitimate concerns. I do think that we're at a unique time in history where a data company like, you know, Facebook, Apple, Google, Amazon has so much data on so many people that they are very good at determining trends and placing people into groups to, you know, group similar people and then have a very good idea around what those people will react to. Uh, in terms of what we show them in the feed, what products we show them if you're on Amazon, what, uh, you know, what search was results they, they, they show if they're Google. So we're at this very interesting time where, you know, this data is creating an incredible, you know, whiz, almost wisdom of the crowd solution uh, to understanding people. And more data is only going to make that understanding better. Where I, where I, you know, tend to react on Twitter sometimes is um, I don't think that Facebook is inherently evil. Uh, I think that they are faced with some of the most challenging, I don't know if moral is the right word, but, you know, challenging solutions in terms of what, what is the right thing to show to people? You know, if, if they've got the data to understand that person A wants to see news from Fox and person B wants to see news from CNN and that's what they're going to react to. Is it wrong for, for them to be providing you with the information that you're most likely to engage with? You know, I I don't, (laughs) I don't think it is. I mean, I think that's kind of why they have a service that people use is because it, it it does kind of wade through the stuff to show you what you're, you like. But, you know, obviously that's, that's, that's a, I don't, I'm not an expert on this stuff. So that, that's a very loaded question where I do feel strongly is, you know, call it, call it what you will. But right now there is not a single other VR headset that comes even close to the Oculus Quest. Right. Uh, I mean, frankly, comes even close to the Oculus Quest one, not to mention the two where they lower the price, the resolution is incredible, the performance is incredible for a standalone unit. I mean, this is the VR device that we've all dreamed of uh, for the last five to 10 years. I mean, it's a truly incredible piece of hardware. And, you know, from that perspective, for VR as a whole, I think it's incredibly important that that we we recognize that, that this is this is a great piece of hardware for VR period outside of politics, outside of, you know, what you think of Facebook, it's just an incredible device. And I think it's very good for VR. You know, the idea that Facebook 
is going to have or has a monopoly on VR to me is ridiculous. Uh, VR is still so far away from being mainstream that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, they're trying to create a consumer product that's not even close to being mainstream and people are complaining that they might have a monopoly on it is like the most ludicrous sort of oxymoronic thing that I can imagine. It's like, are you kidding? We need way more devices to be sold. And the only one that's like killing it, you want to crush, like what on earth is going on here? So uh, in in that respect, like I, I, that, that's just a tough one, uh, you know, for me to, to understand, um, the privacy stuff, you know, I, I totally get it, but at the same time, I, I own a quest, uh, a quest one, a quest two, so does my my dad. I bought him one. So I've bought, you know, multiple of these devices. And guess what? I still get ads for Quest. Yeah, yeah. So if Facebook is all intelligent and knows everything about every detail of my life, why am I getting ads for a product that I bought from them? You know, so <laughs> it's like I think people need to take a step back and realize that, like, one, you know, Facebook is 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 really just trying to show you what you've told them you like. Um, and they're not, not everyone there is evil. In fact, everybody that I've interacted with that Oculus has been incredibly smart and incredibly helpful, you know, not bad people, right? These are real people that care about their job. So, you know, I I think that's really important to recognize is that like, there are real people at these companies and they're not trying to be evil. And, uh, and that, you know, the Oculus Quest 2 is truly the best thing that has happened to VR in human history. And it's not even, there's not even a close second, right? It's like, no. it, 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 is, it is a great thing. It is something that hopefully more people embrace. And the only way that the VR um, space is going to grow at this point, now that we do have the Quest, now that it is a $300 device, I don't think hardware is the limiting factor anymore. It is more about experiences. It is more about the software that's out there. And the software is not going to be created by Oculus or these big companies. It's going to be created by, you know, independent developers for the most part. That's what drove the App Store for for mobile. That's what caused mobile to be such a big deal. Um, And we need the same thing to happen in VR. And we need more people embracing, you know, the best possible hardware out there so that we can create this ecosystem that just continues to grow and sustain itself. I think you put a couple of excellent points on there. Again, I'm I'm not like too deeply wounded by this decision they've made either. Uh, I haven't bumped up to the Quest 2 yet, just hasn't come up. I probably will before too long, especially if I need to cover any more... uh, like virtual conferences, anything like that. That's something that really took off during the quarantine. And I noticed like, if you go on uh, what's it like Altspace VR, that kind of thing. If you're trying to watch a presentation in the first quest, it's actually pretty blurry and kind of unworkable. That's the only time that that limited hardware really showed itself, you know, a little bit. And uh, that's really neither here nor there, but uh, I, I do get that they had to either like one of three things they could, ask the mass market to create Oculus accounts or us to use Facebook accounts or continue to support two systems. You know, the people I've talked to from Facebook, the few times it's happened, they're always talking about everything is at scale at massive scale scale. No one else has to work with. 
sort of maybe, you know, Microsoft doing Windows and stuff like that. But, you know, if so many billion people don't adapt to the things that they do, it's considered a failure. And it's like, what are you supposed to do, you know? So I, I agree with you. I think that more than evil, they're doing simple things because complicated things tend to fail unless it's, you know, new technology they're trying to, you know, implement they've done really interesting work in like the audio technology space stuff like that but if it's like user experience stuff it has to be dead simple and that kind of rules everything i don't know you know yeah no i i agree and and, you know i think it's i think it's really important to point out the fact that um facebook is losing a ton of money on vr right now and they're still investing heavily in it and they're still dropping the price of their hardware and you know if you care about vr at all it's like there's got to be at least a little bit of gratitude for that. I mean, they are truly holding the entire industry on their back, in my opinion. I think they're bringing people in in a way that Oculus itself wasn't quite doing. Uh, Oculus was a very cool, very geeky company that we all connected with very easily. Um, People outside our kind of realm of... uh, technology focused people i think it was a little more intimidating to them so i I think facebook came in and and definitely brought some uh, mass appeal to the table for the first time uh you know grandmas are getting into it you know great aunts are getting into it and and yeah i i like that i think that's great yeah and when i when i say facebook i guess i kind of i do you know group oculus and facebook uh i i just uh i agree with what you're saying too but i also mean that um you know, their Oculus as their own independent company, it would have been very difficult for them to find investors that were just willing to lose billions of dollars every year in order to produce a mass market affordable headset. Whereas, you know, Facebook can do it and their stock doesn't even really get affected because they've got, they produce a lot of revenue. Uh, So anyway, it's, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's, Certainly easy to say, oh, you know, Oculus would be so much better if they got split out. But once you start to look at the economics of it, it's like, okay, but who's going to fund this multi-billion dollar a year loss? And, you know, you're going to just replace Facebook for, for somebody else that has a ton of money and ends up, you know, with a ton of control. So I I just I I just feel like it's it's important to be, you know, practical. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and the reality is, if the Quest Two or whatever the next version is takes off in any meaningful way, it is going to create a massive market for competitors. And uh, we're so early that the idea of, in my mind, the idea of even worrying about sort of monopoly, it's it's just kind of putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Um, so as we kind of wrap a bow on this thing. Is there going to be more development stuff on the way, new features coming out, new anything, or is it yet to be seen? How's that look? So thankfully, we've kind of released our last major update uh, for the full Top Golf experience last Friday. Between now and Christmas, the plan is really to mostly just uh, be patching up any issues. We do have one more surprise coming that I can't mention quite yet, but it is something that I think uh, anybody interested in getting the game is going to be be very, very happy about. Um, and then uh, our, you know, our long-term goal is to continue to bring golf to VR in every way imaginable. So with Pro Putt by, or sorry, with Top Golf with Pro Putt, 
we feel like we've got a pretty a pretty good handle on uh, sort of the casual side of golf, right? It's not it's not pure traditional golf. It's got Top Golf now. It's got Pro Putt. Uh, those are things that you know. Hopefully, people of all ages and all skill levels can can go enjoy together. The next major conquest for us is going to be recreating the traditional golf experience. Uh, and having real courses and, you know, hopefully one day you'll be able to play the course that's down the road from you, not just famous courses, but our ultimate goal is to recreate literally every golf course in the world in VR in a way that feels just like being on the course in a way that, you know, allows you and your friends to basically just play golf more often. So we're, we're committed to VR and we're committed to, uh, to golf as a sport. And our, our company goal is to just grow the game of golf uh, using technology. Awesome. Very cool. So where can people go to check out more about you, more about your work, anything you can think of? Yeah, let's see. Well, you, you know, the best bet is to just check out Top Golf with ProPut on the Quest right now. I think that for me, that's that kind of represents uh, represents my work as a whole. If you, for some reason, want to connect with me, uh, you know, on on Twitter, it's r angle eight twenty. Uh, or if you want to, you know, see connect with me on LinkedIn, you can actually just go to ryanangle.com and it'll bring you to my LinkedIn profile. But yeah, no, I'm you know, and, and like I said before, if if you do play the game and when you have any thoughts whatsoever. Join our Discord, send an email to help at golfscope.com, reach out to me on Twitter, whatever it is, reach out to us, and I promise you, uh, we will absolutely read your feedback and take it very seriously. And uh, yeah, we feel like for us, this is kind of, you know, step one of the million mile journey. So we're really excited to just keep making the experience better and, uh, and, and just keep growing with VR as a whole. Cool. Well, Ryan, congrats on the success of the game so far. We will look forward to whatever's next, and uh, we'll, we'll check back in with you in a while. Awesome. Thanks so much, Todd. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to our guest. If you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, you can subscribe anywhere. You could drop us a rating or a review if you have a moment. That helps us out. Hit that follow button on Spotify. Check out show notes at CodeWriteplay.com and reach out to us on social at GameDevPod on Twitter at CodeWriteplay and me, Todd Mitchell, at MechaToddZilla, 1D, 2Ls. We love hearing your feedback, your questions, your topics. Be on the lookout this weekend. We are still planning to do some event coverage for Indie Games Expo 2020, and we're going to try to stream it. And if we don't get to stream it, we're at least going to do some podcast stuff for the following weeks so we can keep good stuff coming to you well through the holidays and into the new year. So uh, sub up, check it out. That's it for me. We will uh, check you out later next week. Take care, everybody. At that moment, nothing mattered in my life more than seeing my three initials at Lakeside with a high score. But now I'm older, there's no quarter to resurrect the hit reset. It's either game over or success. I'm walking towards the light, right? No regrets.